Welcome to Centerpoint Church, where we are all about loving and leading people to a life-changing connection with Christ. We're so excited that you decided to join us today, and we believe that no matter where you're listening from, this message will enhance your connection with Christ. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning, Centerpoint. It's so great to be with you guys again this morning. Um, it is my pleasure to be with you guys. I think the Lord has an amazing word to give you guys this morning. Amen? All right. Uh, but before I begin, um, I just want to let you guys know that we have uh, jewelry outside from our Nunayu project. It's women who've been rescued from trafficking. They make handmade jewelry, and uh, we're selling it outside. Please support them. Dollar per dollar will go towards that program, that project. Actually, this year... Um, they will become their own co-op, so they will be, you know, starting the business. They are owning the business themselves. It will no longer be our project. <laughs> Praise God for that. Um, also, uh, I have my book out there. I launched this book yet last year, and it's on sale outside for $10. And I wanted to know if there's anybody um, that has their birthday today. Does anybody... Anybody's birthday today? Okay. Tomorrow? Tuesday? Wednesday? Thursday? Okay, wait, Wednesday. Right there, okay. Come on up. Happy birthday. <laughs> it's an earth, early birthday gift. Was there, was there anybody else I missed? Oh, oh, July 5th? Okay, you want July 5th? Okay, right, I have an extra one here for you, so... <laughs> No shame, no shame. I'm talking about, that's what I'm talking about, boldness, boldness, amen. Uh, so again, my name is Benny Yu. We have an organization in Mexico called El Pozo de Vida, which means the well of life. It comes from John chapter 4, where the Samaritan woman meets, has this encounter with Jesus, and her life is transformed, and she is not only transformed, but also her whole town gets transformed. And so uh, we have a holistic model in our approach to fight human trafficking. We have nine different projects in the areas of in prevention, intervention, and restoration. I know that sounds like a lot of words, but the whole idea is that we want to prevent the problem, to stop the problem before it starts, right? Because the more that we're able to do that, the less people have to suffer. So that means we have education programs, we have campaigns that we run. I'll go into that in a little bit. Uh, we have things that we're out and getting the general public aware of the issue of human trafficking and how to prevent it before it even starts. Our intervention programs are in right there where the, everything is, uh, you know, messy. There's a lot of violence. There's a lot of prostitution. There's a lot of brokenness. There's a lot of pain. And we have to be right there in the midst of everything to continue to rescue those who are in this awful, heinous crime of human trafficking. And so to be able to rescue them more and to get them into a place where they can be restored. And that's our restoration programs where we have a safe house, transition homes, where we provide jobs, do job placement, and also help women start their own businesses. And so that is very important for us because it is a, it's a marathon work to be able to do the restoration of these 
young women and children. And so, um, and John also mentioned that we have 27 million. That is a international networking organization where we network with grassroots leaders who are fighting human trafficking on the front lines. But we also have a justice school starting this fall. We'll have a residency program in Mexico for three months. Uh, and we've had students from all over the world come to be a part of the Justice School. So if you want any more information on that, please check out 27million.com. And uh, so that's just a little bit about myself. I'm uh, married, have two wonderful children. My daughter Karis is here. Um, my son, Micah, he's outside, probably on his phone. So, Micah, if you're out there listening, you can put that phone away. Amen. How many parents will give an amen to that? All right. <laughs> My wife is back in Mexico, and she's actually preaching right now as I'm preaching. So uh, we're really excited to be a part of this family. We've been walking with you guys for such a long time. Uh, actually, my wife and uh, Pastor Anne, they're cousins. So if for those of you guys didn't make that connection. So um, how many of you guys have heard the term for such a time as this? You've heard it in a prayer. You've heard it from the pulpit. Somebody's been giving you an encouraging word. They'll say, for such a time as this, for such a time as this. And it's kind of cliche-ish sometimes. But it, there's so much power in that statement. Power in that statement about seizing the moment. Amen? So I want to ask a question. I know it might seem like Sunday school, right? But how many of you guys know where, for such a time as this comes from? What book in the Bible? Anybody want to say it? Just shout it out. Yes. Esther. Esther. Amen. For the women in the house. Well, let's come on now. We're in the series called Legends. And Esther, Queen Esther, is a legend. Amen. Amen. All right, come on now. <laughs> Queen Esther is a legend. Amen. 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 All right. For such a time as this. For such a time as this. I believe that we are asked by God to seize the moment for such a time as this, to seize the moment. God is asking you right now, you're in a moment in your life, in your journey with him. He is asking you to seize the moment. But it's not just important for us to seize the moment, kind of take the bull by its horns to say, okay, I'm seizing this moment right now. You, you know, you're saying, okay, right now God has something for me. I'm going to really engage with what the Lord has for me. But we also have to steward the moment. And we also have to surrender the moment. And we see that within Queen Esther's life. She's not only seizing the moment for such a time as this, but she is stewarding. She is owning. She's making it a part of herself. She is putting herself in a place where she has to carry that moment. She not only carries that moment, but she has to surrender. Surrender what the Lord has called her to do. I believe that for 
Some of you here today, the Lord is asking you to seize the moment for such a time as this. You've been walking with the Lord and he's asking you to do certain things. He's calling you to step into your destiny, to walk in his purposes for your life. Some of us, we're just kind of on that ledge. We're on that ledge and we're looking, oh my gosh, this next step I need to take? Uh-uh. It's a little, looks a little dicey. I don't know if I can take that step. God, give me the faith I need. We ask for God for a lot of things. Like, Lord, I need, I need the resources. I need the people. I need the partners. I, I, if you want to do this, you kind of have to kind of set the stage. You have to make everything right, right, for me to step forward in faith. I'd like to challenge you this morning. Sometimes we have to make that step to see faith happen. Really quiet all of a sudden, didn't it? I was like, no, I kind of need all these things. I need to see God's hand move all these things and for him to, you know, show up and prove that that is actually what he wants for me. Because I kind of need that proof. What I learned is that God is asking for that obedience first. He's asking you to be obedient first. So as you think about that thing that God is calling you into, I challenge you, as we look into the legend of Queen Esther, that you would walk in obedience first. It means to not only seizing the moment, but to steward and surrender the moment unto the Lord. Amen? So why don't we begin with a word of prayer? Oh, Holy Spirit, would you come and just move and breathe upon this place right now? Lord, I know that there's a lot of confusion, a lot of doubt that's circling, a lot of fear that's circling in our minds. I pray in the name of Jesus, by his name and his authority and the power within his name, that all of those voices will be silenced right now in the name of Jesus. And I declare, O Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would speak loud and clear, loud and clear, with clarity into our hearts. Lord, I pray that we would walk in encouragement and strength and in power to what you are calling us to do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So the story of Esther goes like this, and I'm going to try to condense the whole book. I'm not going to get through every piece, but I'm going to highlight some key things for us to look at. All right? So you should still go and read the book of Esther. Go read it. I'm giving you a very abridged version this morning. So there are four characters I want us to look at. The first character is, of course, Queen Esther. There is King Xerxes, her husband. That's the, the king of the Persian Empire. Everything, the story is taking place about 100 years after the Babylonian exile, where the Jews were exiled to Babylonia. And the queen, there is also, oh, and it's taking place in Susa, which is the capital of the Persian Empire. 
There is also Mordecai. Mordecai is a relative of Queen Esther, her, the, the adoptive uncle, right? She's, uh, he has taken her on as part of her family. And there is Haman, who's a bad guy. Haman is a bad guy, all right? Haman's a bad guy. We have the protagonist, uh, Esther, and then we have the supportive character, Mordecai, and we have the drunk king, okay? The king is really drunk for most of the book. He's partying and drinking all the time, okay? There's lots of drinking and drunkardness and partying by the King Xerxes, so. Um, so it, it turns out, you know, there is Haman who gets lifted up as a royal, like, person in the, in the empire, and he wants people to pay him homage and to honor him and bow down to him wherever he goes in public. And Haman notices that this guy, Mordecai, is not bowing down to him. So he gets a little ticked, and he goes up to the king, and he says, hey, king, no one's bowing down to me. I have this plan. I want to kill the Jews because he finds out that Mordecai, who's not bowing down to him, is a Jew. Right? So Mordecai finds out. Okay, this is, uh, this is really kind of key. And um, bear with me here <laughs> because I'm telling the story. Uh, uh, Mordecai finds out uh, during this time that Haman is trying to plot uh, uh, this thing against the Jews. He finds out there's two royal guards are trying to have this plot to kill the king. So he tells Queen Esther, and Queen Esther tells the king, finds out about the plot, and that plot is snuffed out. Okay? Now, um, what happens is, as Haman finds out, I mean, I'm sorry, as Mordecai finds out about this plan that Haman has, he's like, you have, you're in this position as queen. You're in this position as queen, and for such a time as this, you might have this opportunity to save us. If you don't save us, somehow there will be salvation for us. But it might be you. So we're going to read from Esther chapter 4, verse 14. And it reads this. Mordecai speaking. If you keep quiet at a time like this, Deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. But you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go see the king. If I must die... I'm, I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Now, interesting thing here that I forgot to mention is that when Queen Esther became queen, she concealed her identity as a Jew. Okay, so King Xerxes had no idea that this decree that he had made in conjunction with Haman was going to put his own queen at risk. Right? Dun, dun, dun. Right? Sounds like a telenovela or something, right? <laughs> or uh, what do you call those things in English? Oh, soap opera. I'm sorry. 
Soap opera. Days of our, is Days of Our Lives still going on? Yeah. Wow. It's more like, like a decades of our lives. Um, so what happens is Esther puts her own life at risk. She's, for such a time as this, she goes up to the king and says, hey, I, I have something to tell you. Right? So she throws a party just to say, I have something to tell you. Like I said, Esther, there's a lot of partying, a lot of drinking going on, right? So, and she invites only Haman and the king to be a part of this thing going on, right? So Haman, he leaves the first party, and he's all haughty, and he's like, oh, yeah, like, like you know, look at me. I'm such an important person, and Mordecai, he's going to die. I, you know, this decree is going out, and I want to go ahead and kill him. So put up this pole, that 75-foot pole, and I'm going to impale him there after that big party, tomorrow's party, right? It's kind of like the weekends, like Friday night party, Saturday night party, right? Anyways, um, at the second party, Esther says, hey, Haman's plan to kill the Jews is going to put me at risk because I'm a Jew. So everybody was like, wait, what? Like, that's, that's for real? And they're like, yeah, that's for real. And so, you know, the king is drunk and says, well, you know, let's kill Haman on the same pole that he had planned for Mordecai. That happens, okay? All of this stuff is going on, a lot of partying, drinking, and killing going on. But in all of this, um, Mordecai and Esther are used by God to save the Jewish nation. And one major theme in Esther that I feel is really important for us for to understand is this. That God is always at work, even in despite of us. God is always at work. Over 15 years ago, before we moved to Mexico, we were in uh, Thailand to plant a church. And as we're planting a church, we're planning, we're doing all the logistic meetings and doing all the things that we need to do to prepare for the next service. And it was really interesting. We did, like, we kind of broke our backs, sweat on our brows, like just making, trying to make things happen. And our pastor, he said to us one day, he was like, hey, you know, I know we've been doing all these meetings and planning, but I'd like for us to do something. I'd, I'd like for us to not talk about what's going to happen the next Sunday, but I'd like for us to just answer one question. And that one question was, what do you see God doing? What do you see God doing? So we had to answer that question, and I'll be honest with you. For the first two, three weeks, it was hard to answer that question because we would come up with some things that we thought that God was doing, but we weren't observant. We weren't paying attention to the hand of God. We weren't paying attention to what God was doing throughout the week. We were so busy doing the work, the do, 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 instead of trying to see what God was already doing. How many of us are so 
busy with our weekly routine, doing the things that we're supposed to be doing, and not paying attention to what God is doing. No, I, I challenge you. I challenge you this week to stop trying to figure out what you can do for him and just be observant. Just try to pay attention to see what God is already doing. And I guarantee you, if you step into that, God's already doing something, things start flowing. Things start flowing. You know, you, got, you might get frustrated like you're trying to make something happen. All you got to do is stop. Stop. Stop, people. And look around and see what God is doing. And go with what he's already doing. It will flow. It will flow. And I know when we think about ourselves and we think about our own struggles and, you know, the brokenness within our own lives, we just kind of feel like, well, how can I really, like, step into that? I just want to have an encouraging word because I feel like the Lord has this word specifically for you. That God, our Father, He is in love with the person that you're becoming. That he loves the process that he has you on. That he is excited about the journey you are both taking together. I know some of you might look at yourselves in the mirror like, oh, you get so frustrated at yourself. You're like, oh, man, why, why am I, you know, why am I, why am I here and not there? God's not worried about that. You might look at your sin in your life and you're like, oh, why, why, I, I, I failed again. And you get frustrated at yourself. And God looks at you and he smiles and he says, you know what? I kind of took care of that already. I'm working on the new you. Amen. I'm working on where you're becoming, who you're becoming, where you're going to be going. Amen. I know you needed that word because for some of us, when we need to step into that moment for such a time as this, that's like a burden. And we need to be freed from that burden. Because those words are coming straight from hell. It's trying to suck you in, pull you down, trying to discourage you. When God looks at you, he is all smiles. Don't allow the voices of others or the past to dominate what you're thinking about yourself. Allow what the Lord is speaking over you, how he loves the person you're becoming, how he is so excited for the journey he has you on. He's embracing you right now. One of the key lessons that I learned from Esther is that, see, when the king had this decree in conjunction with Haman, and Esther and Mordecai said, hey, you need to renounce that decree, she, the king said, I can't renounce a decree that I already made. Okay? So that that decree wasn't renounced. A 
contradictory decree was announced. Okay, so follow me here. There was a decree that said, okay, according with Haman, that they, was gonna, they were going to kill off the Jews. King says, I can't change that. So Mordecai and Esther come up with a plan saying, you come up with a new decree. That new decree is when that day comes, the Jews can defend themselves and kill all their enemies. So in place of renouncing a decree, a new decree was made. For such a time as this, we must make new decrees. Come on now. There are decrees you need to make in the name of Jesus over the lives of your family members, over the lives of your community. There are people within your life that you need to make proclamations and declarations for. There's a law that's before you. There's something that, a mountain that is before you, that is something that is trying to keep you from stepping into your destiny, to step into your purpose. And you kind of think you need to cancel that thing out. In the name of Jesus, God is giving you kingdom strategies to establish kingdom culture. Amen? So what you need to do is make new decrees. New decrees. What do, I mean, what do I mean by that? One of my dreams is that there would be no more child begging in Mexico. I know if you, uh, for those of you who have traveled internationally or you might have seen a movie, <laughs> you, you see in the streets, street corners or in the plazas, Kids begging or selling things when they should really be in school or in their homes. And your heart breaks. And a part or one of the modalities of human trafficking is forced child begging. There's a whole criminal network behind it. And so, you know, I said to my team, you know, there should be no more forced child begging in Mexico. And they were like, well, Benny, that's, that's just kind of how things are. That's just how things are just going to be. And I wasn't, my spirit wasn't right about that. I don't know about you, but when, you see certain, when I see certain injustices in the world, and it doesn't reflect heaven, because there's no begging in heaven. So if there's no begging in heaven, and we're supposed to bring kingdom here on earth, heaven here to earth, that means I need to do everything I can to make sure that there's no begging here on earth. Amen? So we launch, we're launching this campaign. As soon as uh, I go back to Mexico tomorrow, we're going to be launching a campaign. Actually, the coming Saturday is International UN's International Day Against Human Trafficking. We're launching this campaign called Están Tus Manos. It's in your hands. It's a... Uh, campaign to end forced child begging. We've gotten support from Google and Facebook on this, the UN, World Vision, the National Broadcasters Association. Um, praise God. So it's going to be all over the TV and radio. Uh, our last campaign reached over 20 million. We're, gonna, we're easily thinking that we're going to be able to reach over 100 million people with this campaign. Um, praise God. But 
It's not just a video. It's not just there's an illegal, there's a, um, a legislative initiative that we're launching. It's been reviewed by over 15 countries that law firms where they have are already eradicated child begging, and they looked at our reform that we're going to be pushing through working with senators and congressmen and women to eradicate forced child begging in Mexico. So this is the campaign. I just want to show it to you guys really quick so you guys can become a part of it. Manos que apoyan. Porque hay quienes lo necesitan. Pero otras manos ofrecen un escape. Exigen. Lastiman y explotan. La mendicidad expone a niños y niñas a innumerables riesgos, entre ellos la trata de personas. En tus manos está contribuir a su erradicación. Infórmate en estentusmanos.org. All right, praise God for that. I hope that inspires you because behind every dream is a movement. Behind every dream is a movement. There's some of you guys have been dreaming for things. And you've kind of said, well, you know, I don't know if it's really possible. I want to encourage you. The Lord's placed that dream in your heart. There's nothing impossible for God. There's nothing that's impossible for God. Amen. Amen. You know, Esther, she was amazing because... Um, she really knew how to leverage, leverage her God-given authority. And I think that's, for some of us, we need to understand that, that we've been placed in a moment that for such a time as this, we need to walk in heaven's authority. That God has placed you on this earth in a moment, in a realm of influence, in a realm of his favor, but we need to walk in his authority. I need you to understand this because I think it's key for us. For many of us, we think that when we gave our lives to Jesus, our relationship with him was an upgrade. That when we said the sinner's prayer, we got an upgrade in our walk with God. I'm telling you, it's not an upgrade. When we gave our lives to Jesus... We have a new life, a new relationship with him, a new being, a new nature with him. All right? It's not some just a, a patch, you know, that you put on. It's actually a new self. Paul talks about this over and over again, that we have a new nature, a nature of the spirit. Why is this important for us to know? Because when we are just thinking we got an upgrade, 
We don't realize the authority we have. When we have a new relationship with God, we are walking in the newness that we have with him. We realize that, hey, I have this crazy, amazing access with the Lord. I have this new authority that I can walk in. I have this favor that comes from heaven that I can begin to step into. So for those of you who have been dreaming and saying, God, I know you're calling me into this. And you're, and you're worried that maybe you're not seeing things move forward. Walk in God's and heaven's authority. The other thing, and the last point of, of where I see Esther really becoming and being a legend for us, is that Esther had selfless love. Esther had selfless love. And for such a time as this, God is calling us to be more selfless. Now, don't get offended. Please don't get offended. <laughs> but I want to read this uh, passage from my friend, Dr. Kim Moss, from her book. Um, and I really think it is an eye-opening and candid perception of what we are seeing in our culture today. Our culture has largely become narcissistic and entitled. Narcissism is self-love. The excessive interest in one's appearance, comfort, importance, and ability. Importance and ability. It can become a pervasive and pathological pattern of grandiosity, lack of empathy, and hypersensitivity to the evaluation of others. Entitlement is a belief that we are deserving of certain privileges without having to pay a personal cost for them. These attitudes and worldviews infect those in our culture, whether they are churched or unchurched. In other words, the world loves only itself. That's the world's culture. It's a self-love culture. But we have kingdom culture. Amen? Don't get bought in. Don't get bought in by the world's culture. Don't get bought into loving only yourself. God is calling us to the selfless love. He showed it on the cross. He shows it time and time again in your life. And he's calling us and he's encouraging us to walk in that selfless love. I think for such a time as this, God is calling us and asking us to be a legend. It's not just to study about these Heroes of faith and these legends that we find in the Bible, that's not what this series is about. It's supposed to become real for us. It's supposed to be an encouragement for us to start walking and stepping into. It's about taking those dreams that God has placed within our hearts and confidently walking in his authority to be able to see those dreams come into reality. It's about seeing heaven and making that heaven reality true here on earth. It's about doing it, at least doing it selflessly.
That's what he's calling us into. So I invite you guys right now to respond and to, if you guys can stand right now. And if the Lord is speaking into your hearts, the Lord is speaking to you directly about this. Could you just put your hand on your heart right now? I just want to pray for you. Sorry. For allowing the voices of this world to become so loud. We want to turn to you right now. But we need courage. We need faith to take steps forward. that boldness, Lord. Lord, so I just pray right now for every person who has their hand on their heart. Lord, and I just impart upon them in the name of Jesus that gift of faith and of that boldness to see the impossible come into reality. To see what every, all the naysayers are saying come into fruition. To see what you have to say, Lord, above what the world is saying. Lord, I pray people would begin to walk in obedience. To seize the moment that for such a time as this, that for such a time as this, that they would seize, steward, and surrender this moment, O oh Lord, unto you. Lord, I see in the name of Jesus, I see in the name of Jesus, the people of God rising up in this season that are rising up in the season to break the chains of injustice, to free those who are oppressed, to proclaim, Lord, your good news, to, so that the voices would sing out in your freedom and in your goodness, in your mercy and forgiveness. Lord, I pray for this church. I pray for this body. I pray. Lord, that this house would be a house that proclaims it, oh Lord, that not would only proclaim it, would shout it out in the name of Jesus. Lord, that they would shout out and shine in the darkness to bring your light in the name of Jesus. Rise up, O oh church! Rise up, O oh church! Rise up, O oh church, in the name of Jesus. Lord, would your glory shine? Lord, shine your glory. You 
Use each and every person here in the name of Jesus. Use each and every person in the name of Jesus to bring your kingdom here on earth. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. When we give a praise offering to the Lord.